The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. Romans chapter 5 today, after a, um, a couple of months of holiday season, I'm back into the book of Romans. So in October we finished, uh, went through uh, chapter 4. We summarized that a little bit. I want to go back and, and re-look at 1, 2, 3, and 4 to get us up to date where we are in just a few minutes. I had a roommate in college, his name was Jay, and uh, he was a funny guy. He, uh, he said four or five sentences, one of those sentences was going to be funny. And I can't repeat everything he said. Uh, he grew up in the church. His dad was a deacon. He was a model citizen in the town that he came from. And, um, but, but he just said some things that were very funny. He, uh, came from Plainview, Texas. Now, I'd never been to Plainview, but he tried to describe to me what kind of town that it was. And, uh, Plainview is way out west. You go out there, it makes sense. It's right out there in Plainview. He said that the roads were so flat and so straight that you could be standing in the middle of town and look off across West Texas in the countryside and see a car coming and you could smoke a cigarette and drink a cup of coffee before the car got into town. It's a long ways, long, straight road. There's some straight roads and that's really what we're going to talk about today is getting on the straight road. In Romans chapter 5, but there's also some crooked roads. Chapter 1 of Romans is very much about people who have chosen the crooked path of life. They've chosen to go away from God and they go back and forth and back and forth trying to be religious, trying to be right, but they do not get it right because they're relying on their own will and way. And San Francisco is the most uh, most crooked street in the world called Lombardo Street. And you may have been on Lombardo Street. I believe it's down by the market. Is that where you've been there? It's uh, I've not been to it. I've only seen pictures of it. It's a block long. And in that one block at a 27 degree grade, it, there are eight hairpin turns. Now, that doesn't make sense why someone would do that unless you're driving a Model A or a Model T car uh, back in the 20s, in 1922, when they established that uh, particular street. Cars could not make it up the hill. So in order to make it up the hill, they would go a little ways and take a left turn, then go a little ways and take a right turn, and just a series of small switchbacks were made to get you from the bottom of that block to the top of that block. Most crooked street in America. We live in a country full of crooked streets that need to be straightened out. And we're going to discuss that in just a minute. Romans chapter 1, I said, is about man being out of step with God and being locked in this sinful, futile thinking that I'm trying this, it's not working for me. I'm trying that, it's not working for me. I'm going back and forth in sin, away from God. And because of that, I'm never getting on the right straight path. Chapter 2 is, he is discussing who is right with with God and what gets them there. And basically the summary of chapter 2 is, no one's better than anyone else. These Jewish elites of the day, those uh, rabbis, no one is in a position to get right with God apart from Jesus. 
Now we can believe that. We folks that have been saved by grace and have accepted Christ and are walking a path of, of with him hand in hand, uh, you understand you could not have gotten there without the grace of God. Couldn't have thought well enough, couldn't have been good enough, couldn't have been rich enough, couldn't have been smart enough, couldn't have been humble enough. Nothing would have got you right with God because of the sinful nature of man. And then there's chapter 3. It says we can find righteousness in Jesus. That's chapter 3. We can find our rightness with him. That word righteousness in the Old Testament, the New Testament, uh, is very similar. And we're going to see when we, when we get into chapter 5, verse 1, there's a word there, a justification. Those are very similar words. It's like two sides of the same coin. Rightness and justice on the right path. The only way to get that is through Jesus. The only way to be, to be in that right situation. The Greek language would have a word that's, that is uh, interpreted very similar. The Old Testament word in Hebrew is much more descriptive what it means to be right with God. This, this would be a good way to, uh, to help us understand that. If I were to build a wall across this room and try to make sure I've got it right, made it with bricks, and uh, I'm not a mason, by the way, so I probably would not do a very good job of that. Matter of fact, there are some Masons that don't do as good as other Masons. There's some that are just amazing. If you've seen many buildings built, well, whoever built this building and laid these bricks, you see how good, uh, how perfect the lines are and everything's spaced right. Even the colors are, are put in there right. And you could stand at that door and look straight down that line. And you can open up your phone, by the way. And in your phone, there's an app called uh, Level. And you have a, uh, a level in there where you can move your phone around, put it up against the wall. I have built some things with that. And I'm saying get yourself a real level if you're going to build something. But you could put that up against the wall and you would see that it is level and straight. They would use a reed. The Hebrew uh, people would use a, uh, a long, let's say a cane pole. Let's use our language. They use a long, straight cane pole from one end to the other and hold it up and see whether that road, that wall would deviate from straight up and down. That gets you the word righteousness or just justice, justification. Getting things correct. Getting things right. Then in chapter 4, he goes into a history lesson. In this history lesson in chapter 4, we go back to Abraham and we talk about what happened, how Abraham became a man of righteousness in in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament law. And it says that, if you know that from Genesis 15, 6, is a major, if you're you're memorizing verses through the Bible, every every chat, every book, you pick a, a verse for that book. By the time you get to the end of it, you'd have all those verses memorized and you go back to Genesis you, you would remember Genesis 15, 6. It's the memory verse. Abram believed God, and God credited, credited it to him as righteousness. His faith brought him righteousness. So it's trusting in him rather than the works. That's also, there's a mention of that in verse 22 as well, Genesis 15. So the last of chapter 4, after we discuss this history, we know because God worked in faith way before we think he may have worked in faith. He might have been working in uh, sacrifices and works in the Old Testament. No, it was about faith. It was about trusting him. Chapter 4, verse 25, ends that chapter and it says, He delivered over to death for our sins 
and was raised to life for our justification. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Delivered over to death for my sins. For your sins. And was raised to life to get things right for us. So let's start with Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore. So that therefore is therefore chapter 4. It's saying all these things have happened. In verse 25, he's saying he was delivered over so that he might die for our sins. Therefore, because of that, through faith, since we have been justified through faith. Justified is the word that we're, I was talking about just a second ago. This justice, this rightness can only come by an act of God. Only come by the works of God. Now, I, uh, a lot of people over the years are doing discipleship with church members and with uh, campus ministries with students and, and youth groups. Uh, people will come to you and ask you where you start reading to understand the gospel, understand the, the Bible. And we have been telling them, go to the book of, anybody know what book you tell them to go to? Book of John. That was a big Baptist uh uh, push back in the 70s and 80s. We were teaching the book of John first to anyone who was new in faith or wanting to uh, try to, to reach out and understand God. Because the, the Bible is very, very clear. The story is easy to understand all through that book. But if I was leading someone today that wanted to understand Christians, they wanted to understand the state of the world, want to understand how I get from this crooked road I'm on to the straight road of righteousness, I would say you probably should spend about a year in the book of Romans. Listen to other people teach it, read it yourself, break down word by word. When I was trying to put a sermon together for this particular, this particular book, this chapter today, I could not get past verse 1. So much to say. In verse 1. Because of all he's done, therefore, we have justification with God. We are right with God. We know we are where we need to be on the right path, on the right road. There's a long straight road in North Dakota. It's 126 miles. I believe it's Highway 46. They say that they claim in all of their uh, promotional books to get you to come to North Dakota. I bet that's a thin book. Uh, that's, there's not a lot to talk about there. I've been there a lot. Uh, there's a lot of snow, a lot of snow. That road is as straight as any road in the world for 126 miles. They say it's perfectly straight. When you get there, you can see a long way, and you know where you're going. You get to the book of Romans, and you start reading that. You, I mean, it resonates with our spirit when we read chapter 1. We could turn on CNN Fox News, whatever you watch, watch any news report, open up your phone, look at that little news section, read those five articles they've, they've highlighted for you for the day, and they would coincide with chapter 1 of Romans. The world is full of deception and deviance from righteousness. That's what chapter 1 saying, and we see it everywhere. Someone coming to the Lord can read chapter 1. You're talking with them about what they read. You can say to them, what do you see God doing in this world? What do you see Satan doing in this world? What do you see people, how do people responding to that? And chapter 1 is a place you can spend some time. Because we see it everywhere. 
What they need to hear, what they need to know, is what we find out in chapter 5, is that it all comes from a relationship with Jesus to get us right. We know it because of what we read here. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that faith, we trust him, we, we, we know that we can, we can uh, take a step with his hand in our hand, and he is always with us. Um, I've been helping a guy, this actually was Thursday, he had some trouble with his four-wheeler, he couldn't get it in the back of his truck, and I have not loaded a four-wheeler in the back of the truck since I was 40, because I can't do it anymore. It just spooks me too much to get up on And if you know what I'm talking about, it's steep. It's a steep path to get that thing up in there. And I'm thinking, this guy's under 40. I'm going to let him get behind it, not me. It died, and it couldn't. we had to push it up. That's how we got it in. Um, as we step on that ramp, that, uh, that it was a nice one. It wasn't a cheap one. It wasn't broken down. We stepped on that ramp. Every step I took, that ramp bowed a little bit more. You ever walked out on a, a little bridge or a little board that's spanning this uh, a, a little area, and as you step on it, it begins to waver, go up and down. You're not quite sure you can trust it. That's not the relationship we have with the Lord. We can trust Him. We can trust Him with the most fearful things in our lives, the anxiety in our life, our children, our our spouse. All these things we have to trust Him with that. Because we know we can trust him. He gives us that kind of faith. And because of that, here's the second thing that comes out of this verse. Of them being justified, we have peace with God. That peace comes from knowing where we stand. I've tried those kind of things before where I was painting on a roof or or ceiling or something. Spanning a 2 by 12 across two saw horses and walking out across this 10 foot. Can you understand what I'm saying? I was in trouble in the middle. In trouble. It was pretty shaky. Didn't know if I could trust it or not. But when I have, so I, I go and get another, another saw horse and put it in the middle of that board and walk out across it, it was, there was a foundation there. Knew I could trust it. That gave me peace to do what I needed to do. Here's some foundations that we have as Christians. We have the word in our heart telling us what truth is. If you went to vacation Bible school 70 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever it might be, and someone sat in that room with you and taught you that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, you got that into your mind, into your heart, you knew that uh, John 3.16 resonates in your heart. You have faith built on the foundation that Jesus is Lord. And you can trust him. Uh, we were talking about something on the way here. A friend of mine got in a, in a, a debate or an argument with um, his place of employment. And in that conversation, um, there, there, was some, uh, there was some selfish things came out on both sides in that conversation. And... Um, it didn't end well. It didn't end well. Well, every time I think of that circumstance, I think of James saying that, um, why are there fights and quarrels among you? It's because you don't get what you want. You fight because you're not getting your way. When people don't get their way, 
they act poorly. They sin. That's a foundational verse for me. I find myself mad at someone somewhere, sometime. The first question I ask is, am I being selfish? And asking for something that I think I deserve that I don't really deserve. Because that scripture is the foundation. You go all through the Bible and find words like that. You have yours. You have words from the Lord that you've learned over your lifetime. And that you stand on those words. And they are your foundation. And because you have that foundation, you have peace. You know that he's in control of the end game. Of the end of this life. It may seem terrible today. But in that terrible day, you know that you have hope for glory. I wonder, we have a lot of uh, gospel. Since I've been here, there have been a lot of gospel people singing. Quartets and trios. um, People love that kind of music. Especially country folks love that kind of music. They love southern gospel. I listen to the words when those groups sing. And they sing a lot. Almost every song is about the hope we have to come in Jesus. People can't help but love that kind of word. You like to hear those songs. They may be catchy, but you really like them because of the message. You like them because of the message it says, there will be a day that that eastern sky will split and Jesus will return and we know that we'll go to him and we'll spend our eternity with God. And that's your foundation. So you can have peace in difficult times. We've been justified through faith, faith, and we have a peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. What we stand in right now, how I think now, how you think now, the way that we, our, our foundation is set, it's set on that Jesus did all of this work and we didn't do any of it. He did it all. Then Paul says we boast. We boast in the glory in the hope of glory. We have the hope of the glory of God. We know that no matter who's in control of this present moment where you're that you're fighting through that Jesus is in control of eternity. You know, I was um, listening to a podcast last week, that I've, a new one. Someone gave me a new podcast to listen to and try to get outside the lines every now and then. And it's called Milk Street. And Milk Street is basically an NPR uh, cooking show. And it's two very high-level bakers talking about making cookies. Now, that's outside of my norm, just so you know. Now, I am comfortable with it because I like cookies. I think we all like these cookies. But they were discussing things like they measure their ingredients down to the gram instead of teaspoons. I don't know if you cook like this, but most people I've known in my life, they just kind of dip something and throw it in there. They don't level it off. They don't um, put it on a scale. But they are putting their sugar and their salt for cookies on a scale. And have it written down the exact grams. 
because they don't trust salt, by the way. Uh, salt is t- so many different sizes that they can't trust it because if you use kosher salt versus uh, finely ground salt, you're getting two different amounts of grams in that teaspoonful. Y'all see, you understand tracking what I'm talking about here? So they're down to grams. They look at very clear, um, defined parameters. Not only do they not use uh, loose measurements, they use specific brands of whatever product they may be baking with. A certain kind of flour from a certain region of the world, not of the country, not from uh, Winn-Dixie versus going to Brookshire's. It is, we're, caught, we're ordering this out of Holland, and it's going to be this kind of flour. Okay, not only do they do that, they have this, they have certain sugars they use. I didn't know this. This is the one thing I learned in the whole, the whole podcast is that if you use highly refined uh, sugar, you know, instead of fine, it's extra fine, which means little bitty, bitty pieces of sugar. You get a different crust on whatever you're baking. It comes out to be really crisp and kind of a clear, crust on those cookies. They snap, but they're still chewy on the inside. Uh, that tells you how nerdy they are about cookies. They're really into it. Their whole foundation is measured on this precise measurement. It's founded on that. We know that we have the perfect measurement of the righteousness of Jesus. God's only son. Everything else is measured against that. And that gives us hope for eternity. Verse 3. Here's the benefits. Before is our status in verses 1 through 3. Here's the benefits. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. We all know that. If you've been around for a while, you suffer through some things. You know that when you suffer for a while, you get a little tougher. So suffering makes you tougher. Perseverance, character, kind of determines who you are, makes you stronger because of that. Perseverance develops character, and character gives you hope. You become that pillar disciple that people can trust and learn from when you've trusted God through difficult times and your character has become hardened in Jesus and you have hope verse 5 and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us so we know our trust will not be wrong in the end. There may be a day that you're drawing your last breath, and there will be a day you're drawing your last breath, but that you're that you're someone's in the room with you and you're conscious and you are greeting the Lord. You hear these stories all the time. There are people saying they were talking to someone else. They said that about Lottie Moon in her last days and her last breaths, that she was greeting all these these Chinese believers that she had won to the Lord that she had discipled on the other side in heaven. She was um, having great joy in the last moments on earth. That's the kind of hope that we have in him. We know in that last breath on this earth, we will, when that is gone and breathed out, we will be in his hand. 
will be where we are destined to be. Verse 6. Here's the summary of this section of Scripture. You see that just the right time, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time for me was 18 years old. What time was it for you? At just the right time, before I was going to go the wrong way, get into a mess, at just the right time, I met him. When I met him, it changed. Life changed. Direction changed. At just the right time in history, in eternity, Jesus came. While we were powerless, and he died for, the, for us. Verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is that memory verse. One of many from Romans that we memorize when we're sharing the gospel is while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to do anything to get there. You see that Paul laid that out in these first four chapters. He said that the world's in a mess. We're on, on a crooked road. Nobody's better than anyone else. We're all standing in in uh, the presence of God on the same level ground. And then he says that only comes through Jesus and confessing of your your sins and following him. He was telling us this story way back in Abraham in chapter 4. Long comes chapter 5 and he says, while we were still sinners, he died for us. If you're sharing this verse with someone that's in trouble, it's a comforting verse. To someone that's caught in sin. Wednesday night we were talking about pigs at church. And I can't even remember the whole context of the conversation. But I was describing um, how some, a particular smell of pigs lingers with you. When I was about seven. Um, the part of the country we come from. Uh, when you're dressed up you're wearing Wranglers. So I had a brand new pair of Wranglers on. And not only did I have Wranglers on, but I had a uh, a shiny pearl button snap shirt that uh, had little pockets that kind of V down on the sides. I believe it might have been a Wrangler too. Wearing that, and I had a brand new pair of boots on. And that brand new pair of boots was a prized possession because uh, you didn't get those very often. So I was out in the in our backyard, and I wanted to go inspect what was going on down at the barn because we had a bunch of animals, and uh, we had this one particular pig. that It was my pig. Her name was Marilyn. Uh, Marilyn was named after Marilyn on the Adams family, I believe. No, the Monsters. The Monsters. So uh, I had the pig named Marilyn. She'd had a bunch of pigs, and there was a bunch. I think there was 13 of them. And they were all running around. I wanted to go down and, and look at, at, at this new brood of pigs and but I have a nice clothes on, so I didn't want to get close to the pen. And I got up on that that uh, bar, uh, top bar, which is we basically turned our corral into a pig pen that particular period. So I was on this bar fence, sitting on the top of it like a regular old country kid would, enjoying watching my pigs. And behind me was the meanest cousin that I had. And um, that mean cousin was... Um, 
for now for many things, and uh, messing with us and picking on us was one of them. He snuck up behind me, and with just one little push, he pushed me off that top bar, and I was airborne. I wasn't really scared of Marilyn, even though she was giant, but I was scared of where I was going to land. Because in that, in that pen was about that much, let's just say it was pig mud. And pig mud, once you get it on you, you can wash it off, but it's still there. There's still a presence. Uh, you can go to dinner at night and after this happened and uh, you know you've been with the pigs. They, uh, that particular experience tainted those boots for a while. I was in up to my elbows, up to my knees, face down. Luckily, my face didn't touch it. Looked up, staring at Marilyn. My dad saw it happen. He ran over and he grabbed me and pulled me out of there. Took me over to the water hose and washed it off. And as he washed it off, I was relieved that, you know, it was all getting off of me, but I could still smell it. It was all over me. And uh, let me tell you, there was not a better day than when I went in the house and took those clothes off and put those new clothes on. When you tell people, verse 8, it is a brand new, fresh start in their life. While you were muddy, he washed you clean. While you were in that pig pen, he pulled you out and rescued you and made you new. It's a relief to them. You may think that they think that you're judging them. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through you, saying, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can take that verse from Romans 5.8, put that in your memory, and it's going to become a foundation for you. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We do things that are, are reckless and dumb sometimes and sinful and rebellious and selfish. But I got the foundation of knowing that while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And he still loves me. He still loves me. Still loves me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this verse, this this chapter, this book, your word. How you explain to us in very simple terms that if we're on the crooked road, we can get it straight. That if we are stuck in the mud, you will pull us out and get us clean. Father, we can trust you with everything and you can be the foundation of all hope. And that through sufferings, we can trust you. And that suffering is going to cause us to be stronger because we stand on solid ground in you. And Father, for all those people in this room that are truly pillars of faith, I pray that they would be pillars that other people can lean on. And that this week you would give them an opportunity to tell people that while they are still sinners, Christ died for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, 
go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.